When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we heard Jesus say that everyone who looks on the Son and believes will be given eternal life. And Lord, that is our desire. We want to see Jesus clearly. Let us see him in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been slowly going through the book of Luke so that we can see and know our Savior Jesus better, and so that we can have certainty about who he is and what he did. Now Luke is a careful writer, and he has been leading us to a point where we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. And this morning I want to do something that I don't normally do, um, but I think it's worthwhile. As I prepare messages, one of the challenging things is to decide how much of a text I'm going to take. I believe it is healthy and beneficial for the church to go through entire books at a time. And if you have questions about that, I would encourage you to come back at 3.30. We're going to talk a little bit about why that's the case tonight as we look at studying and teaching the Bible. But for now... The text that I'm looking at this morning that I want to preach from, that I hope that you see Jesus with great clarity through, at first glance, it does not look like it all goes together. But Luke gives us clear indications that he has a common thread, a theme that runs through all of these verses. So before we go through it, I want to show you how Luke tips his hand how he wants you to see that the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is intimately connected with who Jesus is and the message of the kingdom. So what I want to do is point out in two different places 
Luke tells us that the crowds were confused about who Jesus is. And that confusion should have been addressed by the preaching of the apostles and also by the miracle of Christ. And by looking at all of those things together, we should have a clearer sense of who our Savior is. Not only what he said as a preacher, but who he is as a person. So I am in Luke chapter 9. I would encourage you to open a Bible or, or use your phone or whatever it is. Find Luke chapter 9 with me. And I want to point out a couple of verses before we go th- through the text beginning and end. So verse 7 through 9 shows this confusion about Jesus. It says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, all that Jesus had been doing, all that the apostles had been preaching. And he was perplexed because, (laughs) excuse me, it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Then notice with me, turn the page, or at least in my Bible, you need to turn the page, go down to verse 18 and you find the same issue is running through this text. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? This is the same question that Herod has been wondering about, and they give the same report. They answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. And so this issue of who is Jesus is the theme that runs through our text this morning. And we are intended to understand, as the kingdom is being preached, ultimately that Jesus is the king. But this was not something that was understood during this time. And I want to ask you, because I think it's something that I struggle to understand, and I think it's something that we struggle to understand, what it is that Jesus was preaching while he was not telling people, I'm the king, you need to trust in me. Because it seems there's a little bit of a disconnect. He's preaching the kingdom, and yet people don't understand who he is. So I want to encourage you to think for just a moment what it would have been like to be a Jew in Galilee when Jesus started his ministry. You're in kind of a rural setting. The villages that are around that area are very small. You have lived all your life, you've probably gone to synagogue, you've probably heard about Moses, how God rescued his people from Egypt, the signs and the miracles that God did saving them from from Egypt and Pharaoh. You may have heard about Isaiah and Jeremiah who prophesied to the people in Israel that God would judge them for their sin as they broke God's laws that they'd received from Moses. And Jeremiah and Isaiah both warned and pleaded with God's people to repent and to live faithfully to the covenant that God had given them, and yet they don't. And so God sends King Nebuchadnezzar, and and the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, the, the temple is leveled, and the people are marched thousands of miles away to Babylon, five months on foot in chains, And they're back in slavery. If anything, they're worse off than they were when they were in Egypt. These are stories that you would have heard as a child. And you would have heard of Ezra and Nehemiah that we talked about earlier this morning. How they seek the face of God and they find God's blessing. And God moves in the heart of Cyrus so that the people are able to come back to Israel. 
And they begin to rebuild, and under Ezra, they rebuild the temple, and they, they prioritize worship before anything else. And then under Nehemiah, the city is strengthened, and they build the wall. So they begin to have some protection as this little city, but they never experience God's blessing. They're still oppressed, first by the Greeks, and then by the Romans. And so if you are a Jew living in Galilee during the time of Jesus... You just want peace. You don't want foreign soldiers taking your money in taxes. You don't want the violence that's everywhere. Rome was, was incredibly violent as they helped keep what they called peace. You know, Pax Romana. You keep peace by crucifying dissidents so that you see publicly the cost of defying Rome. They kept peace through fear. And Israel did not enjoy God's bounty and God's blessing. You you read through Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 104. It talks about the goodness of food and the joy of wine. And it talks about the richness of, of the blessings that God gives. And if you're a Jew in Jesus' time, you're not enjoying those things. You're under Roman rule. You're in constant fear. The things that you own are not really yours Some soldier could come and ask you for it at any time and take it. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, the kingdom is at hand. Repent, be ready, it's about to begin. And this is a time of hope. This is a time when God rules the world in peace. And it's a time of abundant blessing. And Jesus is saying, This is about to happen. Be ready for it. And he chooses 12 apostles. Now, this is kind of a bold thing to do. He's saying Israel is getting a fresh start. He's saying that there will be a new Israel, a a people that God is going to bless. But I think that it's actually difficult for us to identify with the hope that would have come with the kingdom message because we don't live under the oppression of Rome and we have not grown up with promises of a kingdom that are so material. And so I want to take just a second at the beginning before we talk about how Jesus sent out his messages to talk about a time of great poverty and sorrow here in America. So October 29th, 1929, the American stock market crashed. People nationwide had been living on credit and they had very little money in savings. Overnight, unemployment rose to 25%. One in four were without work. Imagine bread lines forming in a country that had just been living in wild prosperity. People lost their homes when they could not pay mortgages. People who rented were evicted when they couldn't pay rent. And shanty towns popped up from sea to shining sea. All across America, hundreds of thousands of people were homeless overnight. They, they don't know because there are no official records, but they think that over a million people were homeless. And this is not homelessness due to mental illness. This is not homelessness due to substance abuse. This is homelessness because there were no jobs and there was no work. 
And there was no way to keep a roof over your head. So here in Michigan, the Fisher plant down by Detroit, they said that Detroit as a whole, all the plants all together, all three of the big three, had been putting out about 6 million cars per year for the entire country. That dropped to about a million cars per year. So there were almost no jobs. Detroit was hit very hard. And the Fisher plant, production was completely shut down. And they used the plant to house people who couldn't live anywhere else. They installed showers. They made it so homeless people could live in the Fisher plant. But that was men only. They didn't want problems with men and women and abuse. And and so they said, men, you can live there. Clark Park in Detroit became a place where families could set up tents. Can you imagine living year-round in a tent in Detroit? But there was no place else to go. So homelessness is absolutely, unthinkably public. And now think for a second what the presidential campaign of 1932 would have been like in that context. Can you imagine hearing Franklin Delano Roosevelt talk about his new deal? He promised jobs and he promised housing. Two of the most basic and fundamental things that people need and everyone knew that it was desperately needed. Said America has not been good to every American. We need a new deal. And he campaigned on hope. He promised oversight for the stock market so that it wouldn't crash again. He promised dignity to people. And people trusted him so much, they elected him three times. The only president to have ever been elected. And now, I'm not here to to preach his policies. I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm here to say, there was a time when America was hopeless, and this man came with a message of hope, And the whole country was hungry for it and embraced it and loved it. And if you can understand and appreciate some of that history and the universal human need to just have housing and to just have food and to have work, you can appreciate some of what the people were hearing when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Injustice will come to an end. Righteousness and peace will reign. And the king will provide for you. But now here's the thing where it gets a little different. Is that our king does not guarantee economic prosperity for us. Jesus is not preaching a new deal for Israel or for the church. What I want to show you from the scriptures this morning is that your king will provide for you something that Franklin Delano Roosevelt never could have promised, that no politician can. And he will prepare you to suffer ways that you may not ask for, but you can find hope and power in King Jesus. So I want to show you how this all goes together from Luke chapter 9. And we're going to see four points this morning. I'm going to show you 12 kingdom preachers. Jesus is spreading this message of hope that the kingdom of God is at hand. Then we're going to see the king in public opinion. 
because the message of the kingdom did not help people know who Jesus was. Then we're going to see kingdom provisions, how Jesus shows who he is and provides for people in unimaginable ways. And then we're going to look at the king in private confession, how there's some things about Jesus that are better and richer than any amount of bread, than any job than you can imagine. And it's my prayer this morning that you will leave with a heart full of worship for Jesus Christ and that you will trust him to provide for you through all of life's trials and sorrows and you will hope in your king that you will see him face to face one day. So to begin, let's look at 12 kingdom preachers. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, And he, Jesus, called the 12 together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The apostles continue the ministry of Christ the same way Christ carried it out, primarily through preaching. They reminded people of what God's word in the Old Testament said, and they said, it applies to you right now, today. The kingdom is at hand. And they demonstrated the truth of their message through healing and through casting out demons. Satan had no power over them as they represented Christ Jesus. Their mission was to tell people, you need to be right with God. If God is your king, you need to repent of your sins and be ready for this kingdom to start. He is going to establish justice. But there's something incredibly strange in the way Jesus commands them to go out. I'm not talking about the fact that he said, don't take anything with you. He's showing them and teaching them, God is going to supply your needs. That's par for the course. What's bizarre is the fact that he tells them ahead of time what to do when people reject them. Can you imagine if FDR on a platform said... There is hope for America in this new deal, and half of you are going to hate it. He probably never would have become president. But when Jesus sends the 12 out, he says, as you preach, if someone rejects you, shake the dust off of your feet. Because whether or not people accepted or rejected the message of Christ determined how God would deal with them later. There was a moral imperative to listen to the preaching of these apostles because they spoke for God. And so if you dismissed their message, Jesus said when they shook that dust off of their sandals, it would be a testimony against them when the kingdom came. It was urgent that people understood and believed this message. And yet, their preaching although it made a stir and people heard that things were happening, did not help people know who the king 
was. So look at the king in public opinion, verses 7 through 9. We've already read it briefly, but, but look at it more carefully now. Verse 7 says, Now Herod the Tetrarch, who is the king, by the way, at least over Galilee, he heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And they sought to see him. In other words, these verses are showing the response to the preaching of the twelve. And the response is, to some degree, confusion. They understand something is happening. The miracles are undeniable. And maybe they understood the promises of God from the Old Testament, but they don't understand this guy that's organizing it all. They don't know who he is. Herod's fairly certain it's not John, because he said, I beheaded John. I really don't think this is the guy. But he does not know who Jesus is, and he wants to see him. So there's a desire to have a better sense of who Jesus is, but there's no clarity about who Jesus is. And then in that confusion... You see Jesus do something stunning, and I've entitled this Kingdom Provisions. You see the king provide. Remember, he sent the the disciples out, he sent the apostles out without any provision. They come back, and they have been provided for. And now, look with me at verse 10 and see how the king provides for more people. Verse 10 says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowd learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. Now the disciples were supposed to be taking a break. They come back and, and tell Jesus all that they had done. And Jesus takes them to a, to a secluded place. And instead of a vacation, instead of rest, they instead find that the crowd followed them. And you see a, a glimpse into the character of our Savior because Jesus is not frustrated. It says that he welcomed the crowd And he continued the exact same thing the disciples had been doing. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. So there's hope here. There's power in what Jesus is doing. And then as the day continues, because they're in a desolate place, and there are thousands of people that have no provision, the disciples come and say, you need to send these people away. They, They need to go find food for themselves. And he says to them, you give them something to eat. Now, he's Jesus. He knows that they don't have anything. 
And that's what they tell him. We know more than five loaves and two fish. You learn in another gospel, that wasn't even theirs. They got that from a boy who'd packed the lunch. Maybe the only person who'd thought about this in advance. But Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of 50 each, and he prays and he blesses, and he provides not only for the thousands who are there. Scripture says there's 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. We don't know. It could have been 10,000. It could have been 15,000. We have no idea how many people are here. Thousands and thousands of people. Jesus miraculously provides food for. And it specifically says they all ate and were satisfied. It was a good meal. You know, there's a goofy time uh, in recent church history where pastors and theologians became very skeptical about miracles. So from, from about 1750 to like 1950, there's 200 years where pastors are writing commentaries trying to figure out what's the natural explanation for this miracle. And, and there are goofy hypotheses. One guy said that Jesus hypnotized thousands so they felt full, but they weren't. Another guy said that he subdivided five loaves and two fish so that thousands of people were all able to get like a little crumb and it was like a representative meal. And it's ridiculous. The text says they were satisfied. This is King Jesus providing for thousands of people as they came to hear what the kingdom of God was. And then they gather 12 baskets full. And I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's showing the 12, not only do I provide, but I provide an abundance. I I asked Lauren to read from John's gospel, John chapter 6, and Jesus actually talks a little bit about this miracle and very clearly says, you know what? You guys are excited because Moses fed the people with manna. Moses didn't give you that manna. My father gave the people that manna. And he is intending for the people to understand he is giving them manna. He is the bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. I am what you need. The work that you need to do to be at peace with God is to believe in Christ. And so for those who are on the inside, for his disciples, this miracle should have all kinds of light bulbs going off in their head. They should understand, whoa, God provided for the children of Israel in a desolate place with manna from heaven. We're in the middle of nowhere. We have no, no means of getting food. And Jesus just gave us bread for 15,000 people. They should have understood that this is a bigger deal than what Moses did. Something incredible, something awesome is happening. The king provided for his people. And the disciples are beginning to get it. You see Peter in the next section in what I've called the king in private confession. This is not public. This is private. It says now as it happened, he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they didn't know after the apostles had preached. And they still don't know after Jesus has done this public miracle. Because it says they answered John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. So they are still just as confused. But then he says to them, he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. You are the king. Christ is a word that means anointed one. It is God's anointed one. It is the king who rules the kingdom of God. 
So last Sunday, we read Psalm 2 and and talked about how God's anointed is put in power. and, And God says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he comes and he does reign and rule in absolute power and establish justice. They're recognizing that he is the one who will do this. He is the one who will provide for his people. You know, one of the challenges as a believer today, though, is as we read these miracles and we don't hear as much of the miraculous in our own times. You hear rumors, you hear people talk about it. But I think most people here would say, I've never seen a miracle, at least not like that. Not like 15,000 people being fed from almost nothing. So the question is, does Jesus still do this for his people? Does our king provide for our needs? And so this, this past week, as I was preparing, I asked just a couple of different guys in the church. I said, have you ever seen God provide? What's the biggest way that you've ever seen God provide? And I was thinking, you know, Lauren and I, even before we were in ministry in terms of being, you know, a pastor, uh, even before that time, we had seen God bless us. You know, as young marrieds, uh, we were just starting out and, and weren't good with money because we were just starting out and we didn't have any. And, and we saw God supply our needs at times. And we didn't know how he would do that. And we didn't really ask for people for help because we were taught to be foolishly proud and independent, you know. And God, in his mercy, supplied our needs in exciting ways. And so that's kind of what I was thinking as I asked these other people, you know, how have you seen God provide? And the first thing out of one man's mouth, and I, and I don't want to say this in a way, I don't want to let people know who it is, but, but one guy said to me, you know what, God gave me a stroke. I said, well, that's not a check in the mail. And he said, God gave me a stroke so that I could understand what it was like to live with a mental disability so that I could love someone in my family who didn't know how to function because her health wasn't, wasn't such that she could do the things that you or I could do on a daily basis. Didn't know if he'd be able to get up out of bed in the morning. And Jesus the king gave him a stroke because he's a good king. Talked to another guy, actually just this morning, and, uh, and he said, you know, I've always been thankful uh, that I smoked cigarettes for a short time, for six years, he said, because I've always understood how hard it was when someone was trying to, to kick an addiction. So I've just always been thankful that God included that in my life. That is a weird thing <laughs> to thank God for. I had another guy mention epilepsy. He said he had an epileptic seizure. And he went from being a self-reliant person to a person that had to call and ask people for rides to work. And he had to learn how to depend on other people and ask for help. So these are things that no one would ask for, but Jesus in his kindness gave. And now here's the weird thing, because here's what I'm doing. I'm taking a text that says, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Jesus will provide for you. And now I'm saying that King Jesus gives out things like strokes and epilepsy. Are you excited? (laughs) Am I being faithful to the text here? Here's, Here's the question, okay? Here's the thing that I think ties it all together. 
Look with me at what Jesus says to Peter right after Peter says, you're the king. Look at what Jesus says. This is in verse 21. It says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. How's that for a king? Instead of coming in front of an army and establishing a kingdom in power the way so many people wanted, Jesus says, I'm going to be rejected, suffer, and die, and on the third day I will rise from the dead. But don't think that the kingdom is going to be established the way you want it right now. And so we have a king. He is enthroned on the right hand of God the Father right now. And yet your king knows what you need. Jesus encourages us to ask the Father. He says the Father loves to generously give exactly what we need. That's not exactly what we ask for all the time. And so I want to encourage you that that Jesus shows his amazing power to supply exactly your needs. And, And yes, and I will testify, Jesus gives good things that everyone would want too. We've found that, that God has supplied our needs. And, and I'll give you one just personal example. I think I've mentioned it before in a message. When Lauren and I lived in Chicago, before we came here, before we were in full-time ministry, we were part of a small group that was everybody's closest family. These are people that, you know, they watched Isaac when we had to take Rosie to the hospital. These are people that took care of us in incredible ways. One, one group of our friends... Or, or, Two of our friends let us live with them while they were spraying our, our apartment for bed bugs. And, and there was a risk that we would take bed bugs to their house. And they loved us so much. They welcomed us with open arms and, and are still our friends. So we had a group of friends that just blessed us tremendously. And when we came here, we kind of knew there's going to be some distance. You know, you move a few hundred miles, you're not going to be as close. You're not going to enjoy the fellowship. So, so there was some sorrow that, that made it hard to leave Chicago. But I have one buddy that I didn't ask God to do this. I, I, I didn't know that he would. But God gave me just an incredibly good, rock-solid friend to support me in ministry. And I was too stupid to ask for it. But this man has so faithfully sent me text messages that just say out of nowhere, hey man, I'm praying for you. And when I've got difficult things, I can be totally, brutally honest with him about where my heart is, and I'll send him an email, and he'll send me one back that says, hey man, I'm praying for you. I hear you. And I know that he loves the Lord, and I know that he has my back, that he'll say things that are difficult because he's a good and a faithful friend. I kind of expected that I would lose that friendship when we moved. And God in his kindness gave me a friend to support me in ministry, and I didn't even ask him for it. So King Jesus gives you good things. King Jesus gives you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want but it's better than anything that you could ask for. So this morning, I believe the text of scripture has showed us who Jesus is. He's the king of the kingdom. That's what Peter confesses and Jesus says, you're right. And it shows you that your king will provide for you. 
He's doing something so much bigger than fixing an economy and giving a country hope. He is saving sinners all around the world. He's offering you peace with God Almighty and eternal life. He's saying if you come to him and repent, you'll find forgiveness because he died for you and rose from the dead. So my question for you this morning is, are you trusting him? I believe that we have the exact same mission that he gave the apostles. He still wants us to go and spread the good news of the kingdom. But, but we can tell people straight up, Jesus is the king. He already died. He already rose. He is coming back in power. And you can have hope in your king. Are you spreading that message? Are you giving everything for it? Do you walk in faith the way the apostles did? believe King Jesus will supply all of your needs. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, let us trust in the truth that we've seen in your word. I pray that if we've come in weak and discouraged, that we would leave empowered by your word, emboldened by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to spread the message of King Jesus. That we would kneel and and acknowledge him as Lord in our lives and urge others to do the same. Lord, make us ready for when you come. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to leave you with a verse from, from the book of Philippians. Paul writes to a bunch of poor people that gave him so much money that he was amazed that they were willing to give out of their poverty to spread the good news of the kingdom. And this is what he says to them. says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.